Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 14, verses 32 to 42, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. And then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. The history of our Lord's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane is a deep and mysterious passage of Scripture. It contains things which the wisest divines cannot fully explain. Yet it has upon its surface plain truths of most momentous importance. Let us mark in the first place how keenly our Lord felt the burden of a world's sin. It is written that he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, and that he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. There is only one reasonable explanation of these expressions. It was no mere fear of the physical suffering of death which drew them from our Lord's lips. It was a sense of the enormous load of human guilt, which began at that time to press upon him in a peculiar way. It was a sense of the unutterable weight of our sins and transgressions which were then specifically laid upon him. He was being made a curse for us. He was bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows according to the covenant he came to earth to fulfill. He was being made sin for us who himself knew no sin. His holy nature felt acutely the hideous burden laid upon him. These were the reasons for his extraordinary sorrow. We ought to see in our Lord's agony at Gethsemane the exceeding sinfulness of sin. It is a subject on which the thoughts of professing Christians are far below what they should be. The careless, light way in which such sins as swearing, Sabbath-breaking, lying, and the like are often spoken of is a painful evidence of the low condition of men's moral feelings. Let the recollection of Gethsemane have a sanctifying effect upon us. Whatever others do, 
Let us never make a mock at sin. Let us mark in the second place what an example our Lord gives us of the importance of prayer in time of trouble. In the hour of his distress, we find him employing this great remedy. Twice we are told that when his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, he prayed. We shall never find a better formula than this for the patient bearing of affliction. The first person to whom we should turn in our trouble is God. The first expression of grief we should make should be in the form of a prayer. The reply may not be given immediately. The relief we need may not be granted at once. The thing that tries us may never be removed and taken away. But the mere act of pouring out our hearts and unbosoming ourselves at the throne of grace will do us good. The advice of James is wise and weighty. Is any afflicted? Let him pray. James 5.13 Let us mark in the third place what a striking example our Lord gives us of submission of will to the will of God. Deeply as his human nature felt the pressure of a world's guilt, he still prays that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We can imagine no higher degree of perfection than that which is here set before us. To take patiently whatever God sends, to like nothing but what God likes, to wish nothing but what God approves, to prefer pain if it pleases God to send it, to forego ease if God does not think it fit to bestow it, to lie passive under God's hand and know no will but his. This is the highest standard in which we can aim, and of this our Lord's conduct in Gethsemane is a perfect pattern. Let us strive and labor to have the mind that was in Christ in this manner. Let us daily pray and endeavor to be enabled to mortify our self-will. It is for our happiness to do so. Nothing brings us so much misery on earth as having our own way. It is the best proof of real grace to do so. Knowledge and gifts and convictions and feelings and wishes are all very uncertain evidences. They are often to be found in unconverted people. But a continual increasing disposition to submit our own wills to the will of God is a far more healthy symptom. It is a sign that we really are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let us mark, lastly, in these verses, how much infirmity may be found even in the best Christians. We have a painful illustration of this truth in the conduct of Peter, James, and John. They slept when they ought to have watched and prayed. Though invited by our Lord to watch with him, they slept. Though warned a short time before that danger was at hand, their faith likely to fail, they slept. Though fresh from the Lord's table with all its touching solemnities, they slept. Never was there a more striking proof that the best of men are but men, and that so long as saints are in the body, they are compassed with infirmity. These things are written for our learning. Let us take heed that they are not written in vain. Let us be ever on our guard against the slothful, indolent, lazy spirit in religion which is natural to us all, and especially in the matter of our private prayers. When we feel that spirit creeping over us, 
Let us remember Peter, James, and John in the garden, and take care. The solemn counsel which our Lord addresses to his disciples should often ring in our ears. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. It should be the Christian's daily motto from the time of his conversion to the hour of his death. Are we true Christians? And would we keep our souls awake? Let us not forget that we have within us a double nature, a ready spirit and a weak flesh, a carnal nature inclined to evil and a spiritual nature inclined to good. These two are contrary one to the other, Galatians 5.17. Sin and the devil will always find helpers in our hearts. If we do not crucify and rule over the flesh, it will often rule over us and bring us to shame. Are we true Christians, and would we keep our souls awake? Then let us never forget to watch and pray. We must watch like soldiers who are upon enemy's ground. We must always be on our guard. We must fight a daily fight and a war of daily warfare. The Christian's rest is yet to come. We must pray without ceasing, regularly, habitually, carefully, and at stated times. We must pray as well as watch, and watch as well as pray. Watching without praying is self-confidence and self-conceit. Praying without watching is enthusiasm and fanaticism. The man who knows his own weakness and knowing it both watches and prays is the man that will be upheld and not allowed to fall. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, beloved brother or sister, do we take sin lightly in our own hearts or when we hear the talk of others? Would we pray that God would impress upon us the exceeding sinfulness of sin? Second, what is our first response when we are afflicted or faced with difficulty? How quick are we to pray and bring our burdens to God? Third, does our experience not agree with Ryle's statement, nothing brings us so much misery as getting our own way? Do we see this clearest of evidences of God's grace in submitting our will to the will of the Father? Fourth, are we aware of the areas in which we are prone to stumble? If so, what are they? Are we watchful and prayerful over those areas? If we stumble over those areas often, could it be proof we are missing at least one of these commands of our Lord?